couple of announcements while everybody's finishing up. Um, first of all, it's been just a really fun year to, to be able to serve you guys, and you guys are all so gracious and just working with us and, and helping us along. And I've just been, it's been a blessing. I just wanted to tell you guys that. And Barb's group is up for cleaning. So thank you for cleaning every week and making it so that Allie and Rachel have less to do when they get everything out again. They know where everything is and it's been working well. Um, I think last week Janet mentioned that some, some of the decorations that were out, put out on the table like the, some little journals have been missing and they still haven't turned up. So if you guys ever, one turned up. One turned up. Okay, good. <laughs> For some reason, they just kind of walked away. So if you ever happen to see one or recognize one somewhere, that they're, they're still looking for one more. Um, and then the thank you for signing up for snacks. That's super helpful. And I think there's just openings for the rest the second half of the year now. So we have one more Wellspring and then we're going to take a break for for like four weeks, I think, and then we'll be back. So if you if you have a chance to look over that again, you want to sign up for the second half. Oh, this is what it looks like. Just a little Magnolia journal. So it's kind of an old fashioned sort of thing. But anyway, somebody it's someone's treasure. <laughs> Um, and then I'm just going to go ahead and go through the disciplines once more with you guys. I know that we do this every time and hopefully you're not getting tired of that because it's like it never, we never grow from reviewing these things. And when we're not together, hopefully you'll remember us doing this over and over and it'll spur your brain. <laughs> um, so if you want to look at the back of your notebook. Um, so we, this all started with the, our theme verse, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And that's kind of the inspiration for all of the other things that follow. Um, the purpose is the equip, to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. So the goal is that our hearts and, and our walk would be transformed. And so then that would affect those around us in our homes and in our church. So with that in mind, um, let's go to discipline one, the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Um, so I was reading through this Gospel Primer this week, and that's kind of a resource that we always recommend. And it's there was um, one section that talked about this, um, and it pointed to Colossians 1, 21 through 23. So I'm not going to read that right now, but I just wanted to read what he wrote about um, the sufficiency of the gospel. So, the gospel serves as a means by which God daily constructs me 
into what he wants me to be and also serves as a channel through which he gives me my inheritance every day in my Christian life. Hence, it could be said that the gospel contains all that I need for life and godliness. It is for this gospel that God tells me to be steadfastly entrenched in the gospel at all times and never to allow myself to be moved from there. The mere fact that God tells me to stay inside the gospel at all times must mean that he intends to supply all of my needs as long as I am abiding in the place, that place of luxury. So it just reminds us again that the gospel is so important. And you think, oh, I'm saved. I know what the gospel is. But then when we review it, we, we start to see that there's so much more than that affects our lives as we look at the gospel every day. So just encouraging you with that. Um, then we go to D2, the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with their heart fixed on God and his word. Um, and the thing that stood out to me when I was looking through that this week was the idea of having her heart fixed on God. And I was reading through a lot of the Old Testament lately, but in, especially in Hosea these last couple of weeks, and I some things stood out to me about that, how the people of Israel, they had lost their sight of God. Their hearts weren't fixed on God anymore. They were being stubborn. And in their pride, they were looking to other sources for answers and help. And they had lost their, their fix on God. Um, it said in Hosea 4.10 that they had forsaken the Lord and to cherish whoredom, wine, new wine, which take away the understanding. In 7.14, they, they didn't cry out to the Lord from their heart. Um, in 7.16, at times they returned to the Lord, like with the rituals and the... Uh, Jewish traditions, but they didn't look upward. Um, and God just wanted them to look to him and away from themselves. Um, it said in 12.6, So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Um, the sins of the people were great, but God kept pleading to them, and he wanted, he wanted them to look to him. He talked to them over and over about that through the prophet. He said, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Um, they were looking to all kinds of other things to save them and to help them, but God was saying, I'm the only one that can save you. Um, and in 14.8, it said, It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress from from me comes your fruit so he he was gracious and kind and that's how he is with us too today even he continually seeks us and wants us to um, look to him so that's why we encourage each other to be in the gospel continually to be in the word because that's what really what's going to help you especially when you get to d3 ministry with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority. The faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life 
to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Um, we can't be we can't be taking other people to a place where we haven't already been. And so I was I was struck by First Peter one twenty two says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Um, I was just thinking that it's only in the out of that gospel love and our, our changed heart and our heart that's already been fixed on God and his word, you know, that we can go and step into some other life and, and help them walk that walk. So I know you guys are so faithful at doing that, a lot of you, and those of you who are new at that, I just am excited to watch you grow in that and see you getting that new passion too. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. And Eric's going to come now and talk even more about the one another's. So this is going to be a helpful day to give us all like tools from God's word to keep persevering in this walk. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for being here on a, you know, being here early, very early on a Saturday morning, a nice, very crisp and uh, cool morning. I always love this time of year when it actually temperature drops and gets nice and cold like that, get to wear more comfy kind of things. And um, I'm thankful for what Dina was saying about the gospel. The gospel is the reason that we even are here together, that we have any relationship with one another at all. And the gospel, because God saves a sinner who didn't deserve anything but condemnation, because God did that and he places the Holy Spirit within believers, we now have the ability and the capacity to actually carry out God's commands, to have relationships with one another uh, in a very new way, in a transformed way that cares more about the other person than we do ourselves. And so that's going to be uh, primarily what we're going to be discussing this morning as we get into discipline number three. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the one another's. Uh, when I first uh, became a believer, I had heard of, you know, kind of a Christian term, but the one another's. And I was like, what are these one another's? What are these things? Where, where, where is that? You know, that, that passage, and it's, it's not a passage, right? Um, the one another's are... Uh, kind of a way to describe how believers are to interact with other believers. Specifically, as we're going to talk about this morning, it's specifically believers within the local church. And uh, the one another's are a tool. Uh, It's a tool that helps us to survey scripture, specifically the New Testament, on how we are to have these relationships. And, you know, the one another's uh, don't capture everything that uh, God's word says, how believers are to actually relate to one another, but it is an extremely helpful tool for us to do that. And a little background on how uh, I came up with this list. I did not invent the one another's, right? You know, that was from the Bible, but uh, many people have... If you Google one another's, many people have come up with different lists and different things, and so there can be a little bit of... Variety in how those were put together. And so this is the way that I put this list together. So that, that little tiny phrase, one another, is a simple adjective pronoun pair. 
And in my English translation, uh, that, that phrase, one another, shows up 108 times in 101 different verses in the New Testament. There are, two, there are primarily two Greek pronouns that get translated into that English phrase, one another. And some of these 101 verses are simply narrative passages that are explaining what is going on. For example, in Mark chapter 16, it says that they began to discuss with one another that they had no bread. That's just a narrative. That's just describing what's going on. That's not necessarily what we're going to be looking for. We want to look for the imperatives or the commands or the expectations for how believers are to interact with one another. That's, that's our goal here this morning. And there are some one another's that you might come across that uh, you don't necessarily want to apply. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, it says, betray one another. Hate one another. In Revelation 6, 4, it says, slay one another. Obviously, we don't want to uh, apply those to our fellow believers. Um, But the results of walking through all of those different uh, 101 verses with, you know, all those different things and kind of filtering it down into the commands and the expectations for believers, we end up with a list of 38 different one another's in 59 different verses or passages. Uh, And there's not a necessarily a one-to-one correspondence there because some of the one another show up more than once. For example, love one another shows up 14 times. And if you look, you guys should have in your material this, we're going to be, you might want to pull that out and have that handy. We're going to be referencing that a number of times. On this uh, page, you have all 38 of the one another's and all 59 different verse references that go with them. And you'll see that they're broken up into six different categories. Love, care, edification, service, humility, and unity. And we're going to be walking through and touching on every one of those categories here this morning. And like I said, we're going to be uh, touching and referencing that a bit this morning. So the one another's are found in two different Gospels, Mark and John. And they're found in 16 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the vast majority, the vast majority are explicit commands or expectations for believers. And the vast majority of these commands are to be carried out within the local church. So if we look around this room, you can look around again. You know, if you look at, around in your small groups, if you're in small groups, if you look around uh, tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, that is the local church, the gathered church. Here, the, you know, we call Grace Bible Church. And these are the people that we're going to be carrying out these one another's with. And this morning, my hope and desire is to just provide some familiarity if this is a brand new thing for you guys, uh, or if you're pretty familiar with them, that they would even stand out more in Scripture so that the one another's, so that as we read Scripture, they would stand out more and that we, that we would be practicing them or practicing them more effectively Uh, as we uh, continue our walk. And kind of the main point of all of this, and I'll touch on this again at the end, is uh, the obedient Christian, you, me, the obedient Christian must be in a close, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers, 
within the local church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another in the local church. I'll say that again. The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And since this is our local church, I'm just going to say Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another here at Grace Bible Church. The one another's are essentially a manual on how to have biblical relationships. I mean, when we think of just relationships in general, everybody can have ideas of what those look like. The world has ideas of what those look like. We, you know, for those of us that interact, you know, when we go to the grocery store, when we go to work, when we, when we do all the things that we do, there's different ways those relationships look. And God provides a manual for how biblical relationships, how those relationships are to look within the local church. And one of the things, though, we're not going to do uh, as we survey scripture this morning is we're not going to pit against uh, each other the passages that talk about uh, believers just loving other believers in general, where to do that. We're not going to uh, discuss and, you know, contrast, you know, how believers are to love non-believers. We're also to do that. Um, but we're going to focus on specifically how believers are to interact and have these relationships with other believers in the local church. All these passages coexist and complement each other very well, but we're going to focus on what God's word says about those relationships within the local church, specifically called the one another's. And to help us do this, you know, again, you know, we're going to be walking through this, through this, and to help us do this, we're going to ask, you know, there's six categories, so we're going to ask six questions. And those six questions are, you know, the six questions to investigate how God wants us to actually practice these one another's, practice these biblical relationships within the local church. So question number one, how does God want us to practice loving one another? How does God want us to practice loving one another? The primary and single most important one another is love one another. This command stands over and above all of the other one another's. It is an umbrella that covers all of the other one another's. All of the other one another's flow out of this one another. And so let's go ahead and start jumping into the Bible. And we are going to be in a lot of different scripture today. So uh, hopefully your, your page turning skills are honed. Um, so let's go to chap John chapter 13. Starting in verse 34. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So the context here is Jesus is with his disciples. They're in Jerusalem, and he's in the upper room for the Last Supper. He's literally hours away from going to the cross. Judas has already left. So that now there's 11 of them there. And Jesus provides a new commandment to his disciples. And so let's read in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus speaking, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. I want you to see that word, love. When, when you read that word, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind? Usually, when, when I think of the word love, I think of the emotion. I think of the feelings, the warm affections that I have for people that I care about. Biblical love includes that, and it's so much more. A biblical love is one that loves the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, mind, and strength. It's one that loves our neighbor as ourselves. It's a selfless love, a self-giving love. That kind of love is one that transcends our circumstances. I also want you to notice something else about that word love. It's a verb. It's an active verb. This love is a love of action. And in this use of love, that action is directed towards one another. And now, Jesus provides this new commandment. It's new because it narrows the focus of the love that they're to have. The disciples are not simply to have a love of neighbor. That's already been established in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But here they're to have a love of one another. And the one another's here are the 11 disciples that are left. Jesus says, you, the disciples, love one another. You, the disciples, love the disciples. Jesus did not give this command to the crowds in general. He didn't give this command to all those that were just following him along. He gave this command specifically and intimately to these 11, to the ones that he had spent three years developing these very close and intimate relationships with. And the disciples are to love one another with a love that is modeled after the love that Christ had for them. In verse 34, love one another even as I have loved you. What kind of love did Christ have for them? Christ's love was unconditional. The, these disciples were not the easiest bunch of guys to love. They often did foolish things. His love was humble. This is the God of the universe, the creator, the king, and he had already condescended into human form and lived with them, and he spent three years with them. That was humble. His love was merciful. He did not provide what they deserved. His love was gracious. He gave them and privileged them based not on anything that they had done. His love was patient, regardless of what they did or said. He was patient with them. His love was self-giving, selfless. His love was sacrificial. He loved them when they didn't love him. He loved them when he knew in a matter of hours, they were going to abandon him. The disciples were to have that kind of love for one another. And the results of that love for one another, verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples 
if you have a love for one another. That love that they were to have for one another is going to be a witness and a testimony to the world. The world does not understand this kind of love. When Christians, when believers love each other like this, the world does not understand it. And this new commandment that Jesus gives to the disciples is a commandment for us. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're to have close, intimate relationships with fellow believers for the purpose of pouring out our love on them. And our love will stand as a witness to an unbelieving world. It will stand as a witness to the one we follow, as a witness and a testimony to the one that we love. And ultimately, all of that draws attention to, magnifies, and ultimately glorifies Christ. This love is the outstanding and essential mark of the Christian. And we're going to touch on another passage found in 1 John chapter 3. So go ahead and jump over to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. And as you're getting there, uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, uh, and it was intended for the local churches, likely around Ephesus. And the one and others here are these people in these local churches. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And then drop down to verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Verse 10 tells us that he who does not love his brother is not of God. Our love for one another is evidence that we're believers. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Again, our love of the brethren is evidence that we've been saved. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Sacrificially, Christ's supreme example. The love that Christ displayed by laying down his own life is an example for us. Verse 17, we love one another by providing for the worldly needs of the brethren. Verse 18, we love in deed and truth. Our love has action that is supported by and with God's word. 
And verse 23, we love one another just as he commanded us. So if you flip on over to the next page, uh, at least the next page of my Bible, you might have to turn. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 11. First John chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only son, his only begotten son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 10 tells us that he loved us when we didn't love him. We actually hated him and were rebelling against him with our lives. And God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God the Father sent his perfect sinless son from heaven to earth to become human, to be born and live in this fallen sinful world. And he sent him to be the propitiation, which is a big word, that means the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And this sacrifice for sins was not for his sins. He was perfect. He didn't sin. This was for our sins. This was not for everybody's sins in the whole world. This was for his people, his church, his sheep. And Jesus bore that wrath. And that punishment for those that did not love him. If God so loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. And in light of all of that, in light of what God's love has shown us, that his love being selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, merciful, gracious, enduring, costly. In light of all of that, what should my love, what should your love look like for one another? What should it look like? Well, there needs to be others here at Grace Bible Church that are in my life. There are no, uh, there are uh, no Lone Ranger Christians. I need to know what is going on in the lives, in their lives, so that I can know how I can love them. I always need to be looking for ways to love them, earnestly, constantly, consistently. My love needs to be selfless with godly motivations everything that i have and everybody has different portions of these everything that i have time knowledge energy possessions are the lord's and need to be available to love one another it may be costly financially materially it may be inconvenient. It's often inconvenient. And when I mean inconvenient, there's our plan, our life, and there's things that come in and disrupt that. And it's like, how, how much do we want to hold to our plan and what we like and what we love? Um, and, you know, serving and loving one another. 
it's going to be inconvenient, often. It may be a sacrifice. But these are the ways that God wants us to practice loving one another here at Grace Bible Church. Number two, how does God want us to practice caring for one another? How does God want us to practice caring for one another? So if you look at this uh, handout sheet, reference, under care, you'll find care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, comfort one another, and pray for one another. We're going to jump into care for one another, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. The context for this verse is really all of chapter 12. And here, Paul is addressing the local church at Corinth. Paul is dealing with division in the body at the church of, in the church of Corinth. The Corinthians had factions over who was baptized by who, and now Paul is addressing division within the church because of spiritual gifts. And the focus Paul has here is on the unity, the unity of believers as one body in Christ, not as individuals, but unified for the common good. And that the different members of the body, God having composed the body, the different members are necessary. The different members are necessary. And so we're going to actually start reading in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less part of the body? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole hearing... If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we, we bestow much more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there would be so there may be no division in the body, and that the members have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Paul is contrasting division with care for one another. 
And Paul provides two examples uh, in verse 26 of this unity that we have with suffering and rejoicing. In, in verse 24, it says that God so composed the body, dot, 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 so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And the two examples he gives are suffering and rejoicing. The way that the body cares for the cares for one another. And as I've done this, I think this is my third or fourth year. Each year, as I do it, I think back over the past year at the different suffering that Grace Bible Church has had to endure. With with deaths, with illnesses, with cancer, with with job losses and all these different struggles and different things. And and these are hard things, right? These are not good things. And, and people suffer. And at the same time, it's been incredibly neat and God-glorifying to see how this body comes alongside one another and cares for the body. Unified, comes together and cares for the body and cares for them so well. And one of the other ways that God wants us to be to care for one another here is the other example he gives is with rejoicing. And this is why we like to highlight when somebody gets engaged or married or, you know, gets a, a new little one, they get to, you know, have their Lion King moment and hold it up. And, um, or when somebody gets an adoption, all these different things, these are exciting things. These are, these are God glorifying things that we want to rejoice with those who rejoice and we want to weep with those who weep. And, God puts different members in the, in the body with different skills, different resources, different capacities for the purpose of providing the same care for the body. God doesn't want division or factions. He wants us unified, caring for those that are suffering and united around rejoicing with those that are rejoicing. Another way that God wants us to practice caring for one another is to bear one another's burdens. So flip on over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. I'm going to uh, start reading in verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you, who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Paul here is uh, addressing the local church found in Galatia. And this passage is specifically dealing with sin and temptation and restoration. To bear means to carry something burdensome. Carrying something with endurance. Uh, burden simply means heavy load, which is difficult to lift or carry. And believers in the local church are being called to walk with a fellow believer and help them bear that burden of sin and temptation. Ultimately, on to repentance and restoration. Sin and temptation are significant burdens. And they're difficult to carry. And we need help. We need help from one another. And this is not just a pastor's job. 
This is not just a deacon's job. This is the job of all of us with one another. One of my former pastors said, you are either bearing a burden or you're helping someone else bear theirs. These are the ways that we're to practice caring for one another. How does God want us to practice edifying one another? Well, on this uh, handout again, under edification, we have build up one another, admonish one another, speak truth to one another, speak to one another in their psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encourage one another, seek after that which is good for one another, and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're going to start with build up one another, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Flip on over there. Paul, again, is here addressing a local church, the local church found in Thessalonica. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. These believers here in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, uh, these believers had questions and concerns about the day of the Lord, when it was going to take place. And so Paul proceeds to encourage them and build them up. He explains truth about believers, that they're not in darkness, that they're not overtaken, they're not destined for wrath. They're destined for salvation in Christ. They are sons of light, sons of day. Therefore, since for unbelievers wrath, therefore, since for believers there is no wrath, encourage one another and build each other up. These are opportunities to take these these truths that are true about believers and to encourage encourage one another, build each other up. We often call these kinds of things grace realities. These are realities that are true for for Christians. And and Paul was actually, by example, building them up. To do this assumes that we are in close communication with believers. 
To do this assumes that we, we're spending time with them so that there's relationship there so that we can build them up. Another way that God wants us to practice edifying one another is to admonish one another. Found in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. So flip on over there. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Paul speaking to the church gathered in Rome. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. The word here for admonish, some translators say instruct, is the word nutateo, which may seem familiar, as many of you have heard of nuthetic counseling. This is uh, also called biblical counseling. It simply means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. It's to admonish, to warn, to instruct. To counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. This, this instruction is not simple instruction for knowledge sake. It's instruction for the purpose of having someone avoid something or cease doing something. And how would we know something that somebody needs to stop doing or avoid? A couple things. One, you have to know the person and have that relationship, right? And the second thing is, what does God's word say? Does God's word tell us that that's something that needs to be avoided specifically or something that they're doing that needs to cease? And so that's where admonishment needs to come from that relationship and specifically using God's word. And this is lovingly going to your brother or sister and warning them about something that needs to stop, cease, or something they need to avoid. And Paul is telling us that we're to do this with one another. And he's affirming these Roman believers. They're able to do this. All believers bear the responsibility of admonishing one another. Again, this is not just something for the pastors of the church to do. This is all of us. And we're all commanded to do this. And here Paul affirms here that these believers were equipped to do so. And so are we. You know, any believer, if someone is a believer, that means they understand, at least, it, you know, when I first became a believer, I did not understand a whole lot of the gospel. I understood I was a sinner and I needed to follow Christ. That was pretty much all I knew at that time. And you know what? Any part of, you know, when somebody is a believer, they are transformed. The Holy Spirit objectively lives within inside of them. They know enough to actually step forward and admonish someone. They are equipped to do so. And so whether you don't know anything or almost nothing, or you've been a believer for 20 years or more, we are all equipped to do this. It takes you know, spending time, discipline number one, in God's word, shepherding our hearts with God's word. And it spends time having a relationship with one another. And, you know, likely none of us want to be confrontational. 
right? We don't like, we like the, 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 the one that's encourage one another, build each other up. And you know, when it comes to admonish one another, oh, okay. Um, the, you know, what is the most loving thing? What is, when, when a believer is in sin, when a brother or sister is in sin, what is one of the most loving things that we can do for them? Yeah. It's reflecting, I mean, they are presenting our God. We each present our God. So when, when a brother or sister is in sin or we're in sin, we're not presenting a proper view of our God, which is not good. Yeah. And absolutely. And, you know, when someone, when one, when we're in sin, when somebody else is in sin, um, the most loving thing we can do is to help expose it. We can shed light on it. And, you know, we get the opportunity to lovingly, lovingly admonish them. And, you know, none of us are perfect at that. And so the expectation shouldn't be that, you know, we're going to do that perfectly. Um, So the explicit command here is, you know, that we're to admonish one another. What's the, what is an implication of that? We're going to be admonished, right? People are going to admonish us. Uh, If we're doing this well with one another, that, you know, we're not going to be the only one walking around and admonishing people. People are going to be admonished. If I'm doing that, I need to be admonished for doing that. Um, And, you know, we're going to be admonished. How, how are our hearts prepared to be admonished? Um, you know, as I've been admonished before, it's like often it's things I haven't seen. It's like we're, we, we need that admonishment because there's things, you know, we're focused on something else and we don't see what's going on. Sometimes we're blind and we need to, we need to see it. And, and honestly, you know, as believers, we want to live and glorify Christ and he's going to make us more like himself. And that's what we want. And so if, if that means, you know, we're getting admonished so that we can repent and turn from sin, that's what we want. We want to see Christ glorified. So those are the different ways that God wants us to practice edifying one another. How does God want us to practice being humble with one another? So back to our sheet here. We want to... Under humility, it says, give preference to one another, be subject to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, confess your sins to one another, be humble toward one another. We're going to look at give preference to one another found in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, or 10, sorry. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It's the second part of verse 10. This, this section of Romans has some 25 exhortations for believers. And the section that our verse is dealing with in here is uh, dealing with family relationships and specifically the, the family of God. And the second part of verse 10, give preference to one another in honor. Some translations may say outdo one another in showing honor. This, this give preference or outdo means to do with eagerness. Do exceedingly, lead the way, go before, precede. And honor simply means high respect, high esteem. I think uh, MacArthur sums it up kind of well. This is to show genuine appreciation and admiration for fellow believers by putting them first. 
We are to go before. We're to proactively go before so that we can give honor. This showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God, we are to be quick to show respect, quick to show admiration, quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others, quick to show genuine love, not by being jealous or envious, What would be an obstacle to us doing this? Ourself. Our pride. You know, it takes humility to get outside of ourselves and see see others at all, let alone to see them first. I've been around people where it's like, there may be other things going on in their hearts, but like at least what comes out to me is they are always looking at others first. And I'm like, oh, that's something I, I, I want to strive for. Um, and, you know, it, it, it takes humility to get, like I said, to, to, to get outside of ourselves and to put others first. Another way that God wants us to practice being humble with one another is to confess your sins to one another, found in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess simply means to make an admission of wrongdoing or sin. To confess, to admit. And we're commanded to continually do this with one another. This is not something that we desire to do. Sin wants to stay hidden, private, secret. Sin doesn't want to be exposed. And you make, when you mix our pride in with that, we often run away from confession and admitting that. God wants my sin and your sin exposed. And he wants it dealt with in the loving fellowship of other believers. And, and it's just God's kindness that he, that he set it up this way so that there's this opportunity to have our sin dealt with very privately, intimately with fellow believers that we have those close relationships with rather than just having it broadcast all over the internet. And we need to be in close, intimate relationships to humbly practice and lovingly practice this one another. Number five, how does God want us to practice serving one another? On the handout again, under service, we have serve one another, be hospitable to one another, and wash one another's feet. We're going to start off by looking at serve one another, found in 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, but I'm going to start reading in verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. 
as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Out of a fervent love for one another, we serve. And serve, the word for serve is diakoneo, which is where we get the word for deacon. And it simply means a personal service, a discharge of a loving service. In Greek culture, this word had the meaning meaning of waiting tables. And for the Greeks, it was actually looked down upon as undignified. They would say, we are born to rule, not to serve. Our service to one another is out of a love for one another. And it can be very humbling. It can also be very exhausting. As we serve one another, pouring ourselves out for one another, we are serving, we are serving, in, in verse 11, it says, we are serving by the strength which God supplies. Serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things, God is the one who's going to get the glory. Our loving service to and for one another is all about the other person, and it's all done in God's strength, and it's all done for the glory of God. Another way that God wants us to practice serving one another is to wash one another's feet. Found in John chapter 13, verse 14. John chapter 13, verse 14. So again, the context here, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples uh, hours before he's going to be going to the cross. But in this case, Judas is actually, uh, this is prior to Judas leaving, so he's actually there. So all 12 of the disciples are present. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and Simon said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, What I do... What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. 
And so when he, when Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. In Israel, uh, there is dirt and dust everywhere, and it was not uncommon for this dust to be upwards of an inch thick. And when it rained, what do you think happened then? <laughs> what a mess, right? And, you know, their primary uh, footwear was going to be sandals, and so that would make their feet get very dirty. And at the entrance of every Jewish home, there would have been these large pots of water where people could come in. If they were coming in, they could wash their feet before entering. That was just a very common practice. And for a slave, this was the most menial task they were given to wash the feet of all the guests of the people that were going to be coming into the homes. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived at the upper room, there was no slave. One of the 12 should have offered to do it, but they were too busy arguing about which one of them was the greatest, found in Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 24. They were too busy being selfish and thinking about their own perceived greatness to see the humble service that needed to be done. So Jesus, the God of the universe, the King, the Messiah, who had already humbled himself by even coming to earth, took another step even lower. And Jesus, by his example, displayed incredible, humble service to the disciples that the disciples were to do in a like manner with each other. We're to get low and follow our Lord's humble example of service to one another. We don't exactly have the same dirty feet problem that they had back then, but there are plenty of menial tasks, humble tasks, that we get to serve one another with. And one of the things I think about uh, in these kind of humble tasks, one person I know that did it exceptionally well was Johnny Beckman. And many people don't even, you know, when, when it was announced that Johnny was fighting cancer and that Johnny had died, um, people were like, who, who was Johnny? And it's like, he, he usually always sat in the same place. And so those that were right around him might have known him. Those that were in a small group loved him dearly. And yet he served everybody here at church every week in humble ways that nobody even got to see. Uh, he served in taking out garbage. He served in cleaning places. He just served in all the menial tasks, in the humble tasks, the non-visible tasks. And, 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 you know, the fact that he served everybody in those ways and so many people did not even know who he was, that's not why he was serving. He, didn't, he wasn't serving for visibility and for notoriety. He was serving because he was serving the Lord. And those are ways that God wants us to practice serving one another. 
Number six, how does God want us to practice being unified with one another? So on our handout, under unity, we find be devoted to one another, let us not judge one another, be of the same mind as one another, accept one another, greet one another, wait for one another, do not consume one another, let us not challenge one another, let us not envy one another, show tolerance for one another, bear with one another, do not lie to one another, live in peace with one another, do not speak against one another, do not complain against one another, and fellowship with one another. We're going to look at be devoted to one another, also found in Romans chapter 12. This would be the first part of that verse. Verse 10. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Some translations say, instead of be devoted, it says love. Uh, But this isn't the same kind of love that we've been talking about. The Greek word that's behind devoted means the natural love that occurs within the family. A kindred love. The warm affections, and, and, and it could be translated lovingly loving. The Greek word behind brotherly love is a word that you all would know. Anyone want to guess? Brotherly love? Philadelphia? Um, Yeah, Uh, Philadelphia. And that word literally means love for brother or sister. It's a blood relative. And, you know, there's the affections, the tender, caring, caring, concerned, warm feelings and affections that go with having a blood relative. And if you put all of that together, you get B- lovingly loving with one another with loving love. And that is why I'm not a Bible translator. Believers are to be devoted to each other, having affections and love for each other that are reserved for blood relatives, for immediate family. And here, Paul applies that family love to Christians. Brothers and believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have one father and we are all children of God. We are family in Christ. We've been united that way. And here, we're to apply those affections that would normally be applied for an immediate family to our spiritual brothers and sisters. There are things that I would say or do with a close family member that I would not say or do with just a friend. Uh, But how much unity do we have within the family that God has ordained, you know, such that we would have that kind of love for each other? And that's the relationship that we do have with one another here within the local church, here within Grace Bible Church. And we're commanded to have those warm, familial affections for each other. Another way that God wants us to be practicing being unified with one another is to uh, let us not judge one another. And that's found in Romans 14, 13. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. And here in in chapter 14, uh, the context is uh, really all of chapter 14, and it's dealing with conscience. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, 
but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For never not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And then in verse 13, Therefore, because of all of that, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Paul was addressing two issues here in this chapter, and one was dealing with food, and the other was dealing with certain days being regarded as more important than the others. You had weak believers, and there were strong believers. And the strong believers can have an attitude of contemptuous superiority, and the weak believers can have an attitude of self-righteousness. And Paul provides the command not to judge one another. These are issues in the area of Christian liberty and practice. They are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. We don't, they didn't have these commands that you're supposed to eat this or not eat this, treat this one day as more important than the other. They were personal preference and historic tradition. They were not doctrinal or moral compromise. In other words, they were not sin. And God has accepted both the strong believer and the weak believer. And if God himself does not make an issue of such things, what right do his children have to do so? This doesn't mean that we don't talk about our preferences, but we need to be very careful that we don't hold our preferences as though they were biblical principles. And we don't judge our brothers and sisters that don't hold the same preferences. And we certainly don't regard them with contempt. That's another way that we get to practice being unified with one another is to not judge each other's preferences. So we've investigated six different questions on how God wants us to practice these biblical relationships within the local church. So let me ask you a few more questions, rhetorically. Can one be obedient to Scripture and not be practicing 
one another's. Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? We live in America, and this country is extremely consumeristic, and I say that now the week before Black Friday, right? Um, Which is like the pinnacle of our consumerism. And we're all impacted by it. We can't get away from it. And it's very easy to take a consumeristic view into the church. And it can be common only to focus on what I get out of a relationship. What I get out of a Bible study, what I get out of a small group, what I get out of a worship service. I view how well something is going based solely on what I felt I got out of it. That is a view of relationships within the local church the scripture does not support. And this is where we get back to the main point of, you know, summary of the whole thing, that the, the obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers, because I'm speaking to Grace Bible Church, the fellow believers here at Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships are going to be the practice of the one another's with one another. And here at Grace Bible Church, So the early church, and even now many very small churches in small communities, they don't necessarily have, you know, the problem of coming in contact with other believers within their church. They will naturally, over the course of a week, bump into each other all the time and and have those relationships and do business with one another and all those kinds of things. Well, we don't have that here in our country or specifically here in our city, uh, you know, it can go months before I actually bump into somebody when I'm out doing something. Um, occasionally it happens at Costco, but those are even, you know, far apart. Uh, and so here at Grace Bible Church, we have, we have what are called small groups, right? And we specifically and purposefully have those so that we can have purposeful time that everybody sets apart to come together to help practice these one another's with each other, to help practice these biblical relationships with one another so that we can carry out and foster those intimate relationships. And I know I'm personally just so thankful for how God has composed this body and put put us all in relationships with one another. And I'm so thankful for how he's provided so much instruction for how to actually carry out those relationships You know, like I said, the world has their idea of how relationships get carried out. And here we have a lot of instruction about how our relationships should look. And we get those opportunities to have those relationships. I'm so thankful for the believers in Grace Bible Church here that that I have those close relationships with. That I get to practice living out those one another's with. And if you've been here for any period of time, 
I'm sure you felt and experienced those close relationships and, the, and just the blessing that comes from those. And the sanctification. And uh, so hopefully, you know, my goal was to hopefully provide familiarity with these one another's and so that they would stand out in Scripture so that we'd be practicing them or practice, practicing them more effectively and uh, specifically within the body of Christ here called Grace Bible Church. So let's go ahead and pray. And, well, just before that, if you have any questions, I'm going to hang around for a little bit because I'm going to run over to build. And, uh, but if you have any other questions today, tomorrow, grab me. Uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions or talk to you about anything. Um, but let's go ahead and pray. God, you are amazing that you being the creator and us being just a rebellious creation, that you would love us, that you would love us first, and that here you put us in relationship with one another within this body that you've composed and brought us together to care for one another, to live out all of these different uh, one another, these biblical relationships. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've done that as your kindness, your grace. Not all of these one another's are easy to carry out. And yet it's all ultimately for your glory. And there's such blessing that comes from it as we grow to look more like you. And Jesus, we just desire to see your name glorified. And it is always in your great name we pray. Amen.